I'll talk about whatever, uh, as long as we agree that we're going to make fun of Zach for tearing his ACL playing. Well, that's that's football. where we're going to start. Honestly, maybe okay, that's perfect. just how I should start the podcast. Uh, the, yeah. the man whose voice you just heard of saying he wants to make fun of uh, our mutual great friend, Zach Gorwitz, for tearing his ACL. Lawyer well, actually, extraordinaire. Yeah, and... and it, we're going to get to this in a second. I'm going to introduce Shakar Saman here. He is a sports writer living in Los Angeles, California. He was honored with a feature in Best Sports Writing 2022. And he is formerly of the Ringer and Baseball Prospectus, as right now, he's just a guy who knows a lot about a lot. And so I'm grateful to have him on here talking baseball with me. And he knows our mutual friend, Zach Gorwitz, who did indeed tear his ACL at my bachelor party, which is just wonderful. Well, first of all, hello. Uh, this hey. first time anyone's ever said I know anything, so that's really lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, my college roommate, your childhood best friend, yes. uh, Zachary Gorowitz, uh, who I think we can, we should set the scene a little bit when talking about Zach. And yeah, let's do it. Zach carries himself as if he has never done wrong in his life, and if he has, oh it's just a bit. And I love him so much. And he's truly one of my closest friends. But Man, he is, you really do know my childhood best friend. You really do yeah, know no, him he's, well. He's... He's a man who is infallible, and when it, it when it something does go wrong that his fault, uh-huh. it's just like ah, it's a joke. It's not a, it's not important. Right. It's not real. And so we should also point out he's really in shape, which makes this so much it, funnier. It's exactly what makes it so great, especially because he is by far in the best shape of anyone who was there with us on that trip. He has worked very hard to be in that kind of shape. Oh, we um, we get those Snapchats turned Instagram stories turned. Yep. It, it, yeah, mirror selfies at uh-huh. whatever gym that Paul Pogba's at. Oh, and yeah. don't even worry about that. You can you can also know he was for sure the first one to be shirtless while playing football that day. Look, man, he works that hard. ACL. He's got a he's got. He deserves it. it. I, literally, he if does. I were, if I were if I if I looked like he did, I'd be shirtless every day of my life. So I'd be shirtless on this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, honestly, same. We both would. So it'd be it'd be a different. Mm, that's a different podcast. kind of podcast. It's a different yeah. podcast. It's a different podcast, but yeah, he uh, setting the stage there for him to ultimately um, the next time I saw him have a torn ACL and be like, yeah, I kind of I kind of think I tore it while we were all together playing football is it's priceless. I I, because you guys were like somewhere I think Atlanta or something. Uh He sent me a text. I was like, oh, yeah, how's it going? He's like, I think I tore my knee. I'll figure it out. I was like, cool. Right. You know, correct. That's exactly it. Because because realistically, I'll tell you this. I didn't even know. That his knee was this level of he's, messed up. He's too good of a friend to have ruined your day. Too too good of a friend to have ruined my time. But it was it was really wonderful. And Zach, we love you. We love you. We're, and we hope yeah. that well, yeah, fine. Look, we hope that you're enjoying listening to this on on this platform. Um, I think that's a really good place to start. I think that's a really good sure. place for us to start. Uh, because it sets the energy that I'd like to have for the rest of this podcast. Um, Absolutely. But but shocker, where where we will actually start, which is where I start with with everyone when they come on this podcast, is I want to know something for you outside of work that's recently brought you joy. Oh, I saw John Wick four last night. Oh, how was it? <laughs> it is. Here's the thing about every John Wick movie. Every John Wick movie, when I see it, I walk out of the theater and I go, "That's the best movie I've ever seen." <laughs> Um, and I did last night, I walked out and I was like, that was the best action movie I've ever seen. Great. Perfect. Like it is so over the top and so fun and there's a dog in it and the, uh, there's a great story on the ringer.com by Miles Surrey. Uh, don't read it until you've seen the movie cause it does have a spoiler, but it mentions the dog and how talking about the dog uh, in real life is named Britta. And they had a bunch of stunts planned for the dog and they got to set and the dog was just like, no, I want to bite crotches. And it just <laughs> only, it ignored all of the actual blocking and it just kept biting people's crotches. 
And so they rewrote the script for the dog that really liked biting people's junk. See, that's the type of movie I want to get into. You know what's funny is I've never really been an action movie person naturally. Oh, like either. I wasn't I wasn't raised with action movies being a part of my childhood. Yeah. And so it's like it's a new thing that I'm almost still trying to get myself into. So like I haven't seen the John Wick movies. Like that's a space oh, you gotta, right there you check those out. where I need to get into it. And I'm starting to also and this is a a uh, uh a bigger thing but i am trying to to like own that when i haven't seen a movie I'll, i'm taking a page from that's good from ian carmel uh your friend my, my sweet boy who's been talking about that on all fantasy everything I, I'm, i'll take mm-hmm. that from his from his book of i'm trying to stop lying to people uh when they say they've seen a movie just to fit in and feel cool so i haven't seen it but i'm trying to get into action movies and i feel like that's a perfect I, space for me i to would start. recommend it because it's also it might spoil other action movies for you because it's made so specifically um like the fast and the furious is like a cartoon at this point Correct. it's not real right like john wick does keep raising the stakes in those weird ways but also the way it's choreographed and the way it's blocked and the way that like they will just extend fight seats fight scenes for a like specific unruly amount of time because it just gets funny at that point to watch someone beat up the same person over that's and over what I again. Want. Right. If that's yeah. how it's if that's how they're doing it, then that's what I want. Because I want you're talking about, you know, Zach knowing, oh, it's it's all for the bit. I want action movies that yeah. understand they're actually comedies. And so oh, yeah. if you push it that. to that level, then I'm I'm in on that. So I'm all right, then maybe I will be joining you in, in going and seeing that movie at some point. Give yourself a full day marathon you know, oh, God, close the blinds, lock yourself in a bad in a bedroom. Yeah, it's it's worth it. it that sounds like it's going to be something that I, I really need to decompress after one of these seasons is over. After after there's an actual break of time where this stretch run of work comes to a little bit of a standstill. I think that's what it is. When, lock myself when in the Marlins lose days. their hundredth game of the hey, year. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Well, we'll we'll get into Marlins in just a second. And uh, speaking of. That's why we have you here. Ultimately, um, I mentioned baseball prospectus. Um, you are a a a baseball expert, we will say, and that's what we're going to dive into. The only time anyone said that, Again, I, I am someone who I like baseball, and then I read Zach Cram at the Ringer and Michael Baum at Fangraphs <laughs> and Craig Goldstein at Baseball Prospectus, and they tell me what to think about baseball, and I say, great, that's and, my opinion now. And too. you know what you'll do? You'll tell all of us what to think about baseball as exactly. a result. So secondhand, secondhand sourcing, that's the type of expertise we have here on Miami Mic'd Up. Um, but I do want to go back because you are a, a well-rounded sports fan, um, but because this is an opening day preview, you said to me that you're you're a Tigers fan who lives in LA and has adopted the Dodgers, but just wrote yes. glowingly about the Padres. So clearly you have yes. a bit of a diverse relationship with the game. What sparked your love of baseball? And has it always been, like, has this always been a game that's meant something to you, or has that been more of a, a necessity through how your career has gone? So it was really, it's funny, you know, I grew up in Detroit, or outside of Detroit, really, um, when the Pistons were the best team in basketball, right? Like, mm, won right. in 04, made the finals in 05, were constantly really good. Uh, the Red Wings were always a phenomenon. Um, the Lions were forgettable, but we loved them just the same. And the Tigers, sure. when I was a kid, uh, were the losingest team in baseball history, or the second losingest team, 119 losses or something, right? But so, like, how did I, how did I really, my first true, like, oh, I like baseball now, it was a combination of Justin Verlander's rookie year, and watching him just be Makes like, and being like, oh, oh, this is sick. Yep. And also, they used to run these commercials in Michigan uh, around the Tigers that would, the tagline was just like, who's your tiger? And they'd say in this really dramatic voice, like, is it this guy or who, who's your tiger? And at that time, uh, Chris Shelton, if you remember the name, yeah. had a month in the beginning of, I think, 2006, 
where I want to say he had like 14 home runs in and 11 games. And he was your tiger. <laughs> oh, I was the, it was like, every, all anyone could talk about was Chris Shelton in the state of Michigan. And I was like, this guy's going to be Barry Bonds. Right. If, if, if he <laughs> right. keeps up this rate, he's going to have 700 home runs by the time he's 26. Like, yeah, right. let's do this. And then I think he hit like one more dinger in his entire career. Like, at, at, like literally went back down to the minors that same season that he started on that crazy tear. Um, but that sort of just like opened the door for those Tigers. That Tigers team made the World Series and lost the Cardinals. Um, I, I specifically will always remember Maglio Ordonez hitting a three-run shot mm. in the ninth inning of game four against the A's. Um, like that was really like my like, you know, my before and after baseball moment, like the the pre and post Mags shot moment. And then, you know, we we started our really successful, fruitful process of just taking good players on the Marlins and giving you absolutely nothing for them. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for Miggy. Then. Um I guess Dontrell Andrew Willis. Miller was Dontrell. Will, uh, Dontrell was bad well, for us. He was bad. He, he was, was bad for them. Yeah, he was bad for the Tigers. But but yes. one of the greatest oh, pitchers I mean, in Marlins history. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I man, those Tiger teams were so fun. And I I firmly believe that we were. If Tory Hunter's glove is like an inch to the left, we sweep the Red Sox because Big Poppy doesn't hit that grand oh, slam. I never have to see that wow. stupid cop celebrating. I don't have to hear. Like all forty kids from Boston who lived in our dorm yelling about the socks. Oh, just disgusting. That must have been awful. I didn't even think about terrible. that. That's terrible timing no. for you. I, I did no, look it up you. while you were talking. Uh it was nine homers in the first thirteen games of the season in two thousand six for Shelton. For a guy who's like slash lines were like sub Mendoza line. I'm, I'm yeah. looking at it now. It's really unbelievable. He hit thirty seven homers his entire career. He hit thirteen nine, or nine in yeah. the first thirteen games of that season. That's sensational that's amazing that that happened if if, that's such like a crazy clip that if like trout or like right we'd be talking about if aaron judge started this year nine out of his first 13 you'd be like is he gonna break barry bonds to 73 Uh it's like he's he's forget roger maris like this is gonna be 73 right and it's like no it was just like some guy that's the best part about baseball but that's like that's what makes baseball so cool it's like there's not so i mean there are experiences like that in other sports obviously it happens where there's random guys who end up with their moments in football i mean even brock purdy is an example of that but like sure i feel like baseball is one of those where like this guy changed chris shelton changed your baseball life changed your baseball fandom through 13 games that he had in a completely mediocre career um, and I just think that's amazing. I'm going to have to ask Rod Allen about that experience because I know he was working on your guys' broadcast <laughs> back then. Yeah. Um, so I'll have to ask him what his memories are. But I do want to say, so from there, you're a baseball fan, you're a sports fan. At mm. what age or when did you know you wanted to be a sports writer? When did you know you wanted to cover sports oh, for a living? So so I fell into this just backwards. So I, um, I always loved sports. I didn't know I wanted to be a writer, but I knew I was at least decent at writing. And then I I was a freshman at Duke, uh, rooming with Zach. I mm-hmm. it was like we're move out day, and I got a call that was like, "Hey, the Democratic senator from or candidate from South Carolina or whatever um, uh, wants you to be his body man." Because I'd applied through whatever channels to like be the body man. Like if you watch the sure. Western, I was going to be yeah. Charlie Young. Yeah. Um, and it was like a Friday at like five or six p.m. And I was packing and I'd missed the call like 10 minutes earlier. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'll call them tomorrow or actually Monday. That'd be the that'd be the courteous thing to do. I'll wait till Monday. And so 9 a.m. on Monday, I'm back in Michigan. I call. I'm like, hey, I'd love to take the job. 
And the guy on the phone, the chief staff's like, actually, we're rescinding the offer. I was like, what? And he's like, well, uh, the candidate saw that you had time to tweet over the weekend, but didn't have time to call us back. So we went in a different direction. And I was like, no I thought I was doing like the polite way. professional thing, not calling wow. someone after five on a Friday. And I was like, okay. And so I like went to my local paper and I begged for a job. I'd like no clipping. I didn't work for the local, the school paper. I'd like the only clippings I had were like dumb blog posts I'd done as a freshman in college. Sure. And they were just like, yeah, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Would $8 an hour work? I was like, sure. Whatever the minimum wage is like, let's, let's do this. And I like learned basically how a newspaper works. The next summer I was at the Tampa Bay times. I got a job at school, like with a wonderful professor named Bill Adair who founded PolitiFact and was a Pulitzer mm-hmm. prize winner who like really brought me along. But my North Star had always been uh, Grantland, the old sports site uh, over at ESPN. Like I have a Grantland tattoo that this is, uh, oh, it was wow. a good run. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it really was it was everything for me. And so when I graduated and ended up being an intern at The Ringer, it was really this culmination of this entire sort of like world that I'd, I'd idolized and I'd love to be a part of. And, you know, you get there and it's like anything else in life. It, it, the grass is always greener. It's always, it's always like clear in your head. You, there's something that you hold to that kind of level but it was really like a lovely experience for the most part and i got to work at the ringer with like truly some of the most incredible writers and editors and creative minds on on the planet um and then yeah uh i guess i'll just keep going i, I left yeah, in going. august of yeah. 2020 during the pandemic and started writing uh magazine stories for sports illustrated um and and I picked up an editing job with Baseball Prospectus, uh, where I convinced them that I knew just enough about baseball to uh, not ruin the site, but knew enough about myself to not try to tell other people what I knew about baseball. Okay, that's see, that's a sweet balance to be able to to strike. Mm-hmm. If that's especially if it's a sport that that you it is not coming second nature to you like that, like right. where where you're you're trying to sort of teach yourself to be someone who can cover the game. Um, yeah. And I think that finding that that level of like, hey, I know I can do a good job of telling these stories, but I'm not going to try to speak to someone like I know more than they do. That's also a really oh, totally. difficult balance, I think, for, for some people to strike within this industry, because there's a lot of folks who do not do that, who, who also, refuse to say, hey, I might not know something about this. Oh, yeah. Also, like the fact of the matter is like as an editor, like you never want to go to your writer and be like. You got this all wrong, buddy. This right, is what course. you should actually be thinking. Like, I'm not going to talk to like Rob Maines and <laughs> Steve Carlton like that. Like, no, that's that's absurd. Right. They're like some of the greatest minds in baseball history, right? Like, I, I'm learning from them as I'm editing them, and I'm helping them. You know, if my background is as like a, a features writer and that sort of thing, like, cool, I can lend some of my touch there. Maybe we make uh, a kind of a paragraph to paragraph transition a little more flowy, sound nice, so that they can present the information that they're trying to share with the world a little easier to read, more fun to read. Well, I think that's that's a a a great role for you, given the, the personality you seem to have in terms of being able to go, all right, I just want to have everybody enjoy this, right? I want to make sure that the product that's out here at the end of yeah. the day is something that people know is is factual, is presented right, and that they can consume in a, in a way that's enjoyable, right? Like, that's your job is to thing. help lift things up, right? Right. I, I think there's this thing where it, it is not like just inherent to sports writing. Everyone takes their own jobs too seriously, right? Because we want to feel like we're making a difference and we're doing something important. And it can also feel that way even more so. And like the ego there when because, you know, sports writing, you are presenting something to a large public audience, sometimes Correct. much smaller, but sometimes much larger. And you feel like, well, I'm on this on this pedestal and I get to talk. And it's like, no, nah, man, like at the end of the day, we're talking about a game. We're just talking about a game that we like with with these big cool athletes who are big and strong and we like to watch them do cool stuff and it's just a game and so when you kind of like 
let that sink in. You have fun with it. And I think that embrace of that fun side also allows you to tell those really important stories and that other side because it puts it all in perspective. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the the level of, of a lack of self-seriousness in this industry is constantly lacking. So when you can have people who are, are willing to put that to the side and say like, Let's have some fun enjoying this thing that is super fun. It's entertainment mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So uh, ultimately, that's that's where all of it should head. But I want you to tell me a little bit about, um, and, and the audience, about the Baseball Prospectus Annual um, and the essay yeah. that you wrote in the annual this year. For sure, yeah. I was, I was lucky enough, it's the second year in a row I've been asked to write an essay in the annual. Uh, last year, I wrote about the Royals and basically about the concept of how waiting is the hardest part. It's not actually like getting there. It's having done it and then having to wait for it to happen again because the longer you wait, the more it feels like it's never going to happen. But you've known what that joy feels like and you're tortured by it. Mm. And so this year, writing about the Padres, a little different. Um, I kind of took a route of the, the theme of the essay is why trying matters. Because mm. as as I'm sure you've all talked about a million times over, more than half of baseball isn't trying. And right. they're thrilled to not try because they can cast checks and watch a sub like subpar product take the field and it doesn't bother them at all. And it's why everybody's up in arms about Steve Cohen doing what every owner should do. And the fact of the matter is the Padres are kind of blowing up that notion that like, oh, you know, small teams, we can't pay. Like San Diego's like the fifth or sixth smallest market in baseball. It's not Los Angeles, even though it's Southern California, it's not the same thing. They're a historically cursed franchise. And the team and front office are just like, cool, we have a blank check. We're going to go out and get like Manny Machado and we have Tatis and we're going to get Soto and we're going to get Xander and we're just going to keep building and building and building. And the fact of the matter is like, yes, it pains me as someone who really enjoys the Dodgers to say that the Dodgers are not the front runners in the NL West this year. They're not. The Padres look unbelievable. They're sensational. Unless the the Dodgers go pull out Shohei Otani before the deadline, which they might, which they might. Oh, he's going to end up at the Dodgers in the offseason or he's going to be a Dodger. Yeah, he's born to be a Dodger. It's going to he's our Kershaw replacement and our Bellinger replacement. He's both. It's going to be great. He's both. He's he's both. And he should be paid one hundred million dollars a year. Potentially better than where both of them are at in replacing. them. Yes. Yes. I mean, well, please. I poor poor belly belly shipped off to Chicago. Yeah, man. Our our little martyr. Weird. What a weird Dodger. What a weird Dodgers career that was for him. But that's a that's a sidetrack. I I think my can I offer my belly theory, which is that we're here. My belly theory is that he operates so much on vibes Mm. that he it's like, what's wrong? It's like, I don't know, man. The vibe is man vibes. Just like, no, it's like, okay, like is the swing plane is the exit velocity. He's like, ball feels weird. It's like, all right, I guess. (laughs) All right, and you're we'll just sitting here like to get out of it. Sitting here like a batting coach, being like, "I don't know how to fix this." Right? Yeah, I like that. I like that theory. There's a, there's a, a few guys around uh, the Marlins who can be that way as well. Um, so let's let's start now talking about MLB this season. Um, yeah. And and the rule changes. Um, I know that's like a, been a big topic of conversation amongst everyone uh, as we head into this year. I guess I'll just ask you. You know, there's the the bases are bigger. There's the pitch clock. There's pickoff moves being limited. Banning of the traditional shift. Do you have a favorite rule change that's been instituted? And if so, why? So I am uh, first and foremost an agent of chaos, and good. I good. And because of that, I have a spiritual bond with Max Scherzer. Okay, who is, yes, I yes. think, our most chaotic baseball player uh, in the, like, 
good chaos column, not the evil chaos column. And Marlins fans will be watching Max Scherzer today at four o'clock on Bally Sports as they watch the Marlins and the Mets square off on opening what a day. Plug. How about that? This man's such a pro. How about that? I'm a, I'm out here in like a t-shirt in like our spare bedroom. And you're 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 doing these kind of transitions. What do you want from me, man? I, I got to do it. I got to do it. But but so you have this kinship with Max yeah. Scherzer. Agent so I have this kinship with Max Scherzer, and it's I, I think about it because you know one he was a Tiger and he was Mad Max then, and then Mad Max with the Dodgers and everything else. But right. the thing I think about Max Scherzer is there is no pitcher more poised to exploit pitch clock rules. Mm-hmm. And we already saw it in spring training a little bit, where he was just like kind of just like pushing the limit he was finding the edges he was seeing what he could pull off he was forcing batters into the box he, like and as a a true kind of rabble rouser and enjoyer of really like sneaky nonsense like that uh-huh. i can't wait to see he's gonna get in a fight this year and he's gonna win whatever <laughs> fight he gets in because he's well, a lunatic he's crazy yeah yeah just like thinking back to like Whoever it was, I think Dave Roberts pulled him once or something. And I was like, oh, he's going to kill Dave Roberts. He's going to kill him on the field. What are we going to do? He is. We're going to be out. Our pitcher's going to be in jail and our manager's going to be dead. It's one thing. It is one thing because he is another level of kind of like off his rocker pitcher where there's plenty of guys still. I mean, not plenty of guys, but there's a few guys. Sandy Alcantara included. Justin Verlander, one of those guys who like they want to be out there for the entire game. They don't want you to take the ball from them. It is a different thing when Max Scherzer is the guy that you have to go get that baseball from. Right. Like, Justin, if you take the ball from Justin, another, I mean, I love him, but you take the ball from it's going to be like, there's going to be like a stare down. He's not going to be happy about it. But yeah, he's, and he's then a he'll like smirk he'll at the end of it and it'll be like a ha yeah, laughing away. Maybe he'll say something in like the, the locker room. Who knows? Max Scherzer is going to like curse you and your family. Uh-huh. He's going to be he like, walks I back. Kn- He's like, your dog, Rodrigo, he's not going to be there when you get home tonight. And it's like, yep. Max, it's the eighth inning. You've thrown 170 pitches. He's like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It. I can't doesn't wait matter. to watch. I can't wait to watch him tomorrow or today as as people are listening to it. Um, And with the pitch clock, like, I am excited to see the guys kind of mess with it. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people that are old school baseball fans. And I'm, hey, I'm one of them. I love, like, all the gamesmanship of baseball who who are are scared that something like the pitch clock will prevent gamesmanship from happening in the game. But I think all it is is it's just an adjustment, not only for the pitchers, but for ourselves to understand where that gamesmanship comes in. It comes in at flirting with the line of getting guys into the box, of then standing there and waiting, of of messing with the time that you have in those 20 seconds. And that's the way that all of that gamesmanship can still exist, even with limited picks, pickoffs and everything else. For sure. I also think that some of the anxiety comes from the fact that it's not like we change rules in the major four American sports no. all that often. Like soccer, especially we don't ever change baseball. it. And then, especially right. Baseball. And it's, and, but, and so this is, and when we do change rules, they're like incremental. It's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. like the touch foul in the NBA, right? Like it's, uh, what is a defensive pass interference, whatever else in, in football. The closest analog I kind of have to this is I'm a big F1 guy. Okay. And um, in 2022, uh, going to that season, uh, they changed basically every rule on how, uh, like the regulations of how a car is built and how you derive airflow and aerodynamics and everything else. And the result was, and it was perceived to be, and it was going to be, and it, it came to fruition, a radical shift in the way that these cars drive and how, how they move around. 
And for the first, you know, half of the season, it was a mm. little finicky and like car, your car's engines would explode and like maybe they would miss a corner when they would normally hit it and lap times weren't as good. And as the year went on and we're now in year two of this, it's like, no, cars are as fast as ever. Guys figure it out. The teams figure it out. It's just like that first transition period always feels awkward because it is awkward. Yeah. But that's what it's going to be. But I'm, I, I think that so many of these guys have, have worked out some of the issues in spring training but like that's also sure. part of what's going to be fun about the first month of the season mm-hmm. is seeing where guys blow up over these rules and if any of these things come into to account when you know you are late in the game and all of a sudden there's a violation on a pitch or or something like that like I'm excited to see all of that play out and I'm I'm looking forward to sort of watching the growing pains because that's the only way you watch a sport get better is if they're willing to make these sort of changes. On that note, can I ask you, is there is there a rule change that you wish would happen like in the future? Is there yes. a rule that you want the, to change for yeah. either either legitimately or as like silly? Because I have a silly one. So there's 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 two silly ones. There's one that I okay. well, there's two. One is sort of silly. One is actually silly. So the, the actually silly one that would never happen is I want every warning track to be a lazy river. Uh, and I want fans to be in it with, uh, with like in floats. That's the most um, Florida thing I've ever. Heard. I know. I know. You're not from. You're not from Fort Lauderdale. You're from Duval. You're like. You're, I'm not, no, you're I mean, from the outskirts of Jacksonville. Yeah, it, right. it, it's a Fort Lauderdale thing to say uh, that I want to lazy, but I do. How spectacular would that be if instead of guy like the ball rolls into the water? All right, ground rule double. If a guy hits it at the same ground rule double, but if a player runs and jumps and dives into the water and catches the ball, that's a catch. Oh my god, it'd be incredible. The one downside of this is you will be robbing the sport of catches at the wall you can't Correct. rob a home run you can't rob a home run but short. you could do a front flip into a lazy river as you catch a ball okay so you'll get more home runs but f- uh, probably more okay you get more extra base hits because here's what else happens okay do you right. they're all doubles all the ones that would have been caught at the wall potentially so no doubles. more triples then do, why do you hate oh, triples Oh, you're right i ruined the triple you ruin the tri- no more cycle. No, all right. Well, that makes the cycle. That makes wait no 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 because it, that makes the cycle more exciting now because it has to because happen now it's just on true stupidity. Right. The triple can only happen if something insane happens. Yes. Where, okay. Yeah. So you're right. actually I'm building back, in. Actually. I'm back. Yes. You're building in our new super play. Yeah. I I'm back. I'm back on it. Okay. Uh, all right. So there's that. And then the other one that I I legitimately would want, and this is a Stugatz uh, special, is the magic at bat. So the idea that. I think you'd probably limit it to like the seventh, eighth or ninth inning. But the idea that at any point in the game, each team has one magic at bat where they can just decide, no, we're batting out of order. We're taking this player and he's hitting right now. So the Yankees, Aaron Judge would normally be their guy. And if, you know, he wasn't due up until, you know, he was due up seventh in the eighth inning. Mm -hmm. Right. And the Yankees get two on and there's two outs instead of him now being in the hole. It's no, no. Aaron Judge is up right now. We're using this magic at bat the one time that we can to put a great player in a position to do the most important thing at the end of the game. No different than how like in basketball, you know, the best player takes the last shot. You're 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 basically trying so, to set up the stakes that we saw between like Trout and Otani. Could you could you set up a situation where like, let's say two two outs, right? Judge gets a double. Could you send a pinch runner in for judge and then he comes back and bats again? 
Can he can he hit the, oh, his own hit, hit yeah. home? Yeah, I like that. No, I do like that. Yes, I think that theoretically, okay. in this theoretical scenario, right, he hits a double and they intentionally walk the next hitter, so it would be Aaron Judge up again for whatever reason they've decided to do that because first base is open. Yeah, there's like a, a sort of like when you were in little league and there was like the the ghost runner that they would use runner. for catchers. Okay, so we have, just have a pinch runner. Okay. Yeah. Also, could you imagine how angry Stanton would be if they did that and they didn't let him back? <laughs> Judge, That'd Judge be gets the hit and then they walk Stanton and then Judge gets the hit again. Not even. Judge gets the hit, Judge is on second, but they pinch run Judge and bring Judge back to the plate <laughs> to, to hit, hit again instead, instead of, of Stanton. Stanton. Yes. Well, I wish that they could do that. What I'm talking about in this scenario, I, well, I guess theoretically, ju- right, Judge doubles and then Stanton's supposed to be up. Exactly. And they bring, oh, yeah, God, they bring him back. That's, that's, that's so your magic bat. You're right. That is the magic at bat. I'm excited. This see, we're okay, creating drama. I like. I this. think that one's fun. I like this. Okay. Uh, mine is. Uh, I want it to be so that if you get like on a on a pickoff play, if you get hit with the ball, it's like kickball. You're out. You're out. Oh you're no. Out. So so you don't have to get tagged. You just get beamed. That's that's crazy. That would be so. So here's painful. the downside. Someone's gonna get hurt. Here's yeah, the. Someone's upside. gonna get very hurt. Here's here's the upside. A lot of misses are going to happen. Right. And so you're going to end up you're with gonna get a lot of running like, all around the bases. Wild throws. Yeah. You're going to get more runs. You're going to get more injuries, which not great. Uh, other one is um, uh, once a game, you're allowed to steal a base and put it somewhere else on the field. And you have to play you the rest of the game Literally like physically steal a base. Yes. You pick up the base. Else. The defense, b- before before the inning starts, it has to be like, you know, they're flagging to the ump like, hey, this, the, the second this base, is where the it's base now is. 150 yards into the outfield. Or 150 feet into the outfield, but it's that in right also, center now. and that also becomes where second base is for their at bats for the rest as well. of the game. Like that's it. It's yeah, just for the rest of the there. game. Okay. For, yes. Um, and each the, team gets a chance to do that, or is it just the one, home once team? a game? No, no. Each team once each a game. Team, I like it. I think it's fun because yes. it also it's perfect because you're right. You will have a team that that moves it for defensive purposes, tries to make it as difficult as possible on the base runners, but then. You know, all right. So now we're just going to try to hit r- home runs to come back in this game, or we'll wait a couple of innings and then move the base ourselves to try to get Could more you imagine, aggressive offense. There's least. gamesmanship in it too. Like, let's say you get out to a, like a first inning lead, and then you move. You know, third base is now at the pole, right? Uh-huh. Out in, out in, like left center or whatever. <laughs> be crazy. Right? And then the other team has like then you, maybe you only start throwing up like ground ball pitchers. I like this idea a lot, and I like the idea that that each team gets their chance, but o- again, mm-hmm. only once. That's once. the part about this that is is fun with the Magic at Bat. That's the part that'd be fun about that. We should. I'm hopeful that that someday there's a base because right now with the way that like the uh, Savannah Bananas are doing their thing, if there could be essentially a baseball XFL for a little while, where not just in the minor leagues, but like. I guess it would have to be the minor leagues where one of those minor league operations decides we're going to do all of this stuff. Similarly to how like the Savannah bananas have made it a a whole other level. But like Mm -hmm. if you take it and you use some of these rules and start playing this different version of baseball, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think they should give us control of the world baseball classic. You and me. All right. I'll, I'll start talking to the folks with the Marlins and see if we can uh, yeah. get ourselves in there. We've got three years to make it happen. You, me, Jimmy Butler, and a lot of coffee. We're going to change the world. <laughs> oh, my God. The three of us sitting in a room with that much coffee talking about baseball and, and how to change it would would probably not end well. Um, but I, I, I like, I like where recently. we'd be at. I'm losing my mind. You guys are ready. You and Jimmy, the big face coffee. Uh, all right. Let's, let's, let's talk Marlins and let's, let's talk the NL East. 
as an outsider who has made some of his perspective clear already, but I'm, I am intrigued by your perspective on what you would possibly expect from the Marlins this season. I know around here locally, um, there is, you know, optimism based off their pitching rotation, based off some of the moves that they've made that, you know, this will be a better season than what last year was on the same token. Um, you know, you're in a, in a division with the Braves, the Mets, and the Phillies, and it makes it really difficult to believe that there will be a finish higher than fourth place, even if you even if you're above 500. Um, so, so generally, what are your thoughts on on both the Marlins this season and the NL East overall? So, I'll start with the NL East because I feel like that leads into the second part, right? Which Perfect. is that you are in a division with two teams who won 100 games last year and both got better. Right. Let's just start there. Let's. Yeah. The Mets might be the best team in baseball, even with the Correa saga put aside. The Mets might genuinely be the best team in baseball, even without Degrom and like and Edwin, Edwin Diaz. Diaz's celebrated himself onto the injury list. Oh. Like they still, and it's so sad, but he like they genuinely might still be the best team. Right. The uh, the Braves still really good. Mm-hmm. Still keep somehow signing guys under market that for wow. like twelve years at a time understand. or a collusion. Who knows. Uh, the Phillies made the World Series last year. Right. What? Like, and then you have the Nationals who are really sad, mm-hmm. and I don't want to talk about them for any time longer than I have to. Perfectly to bum me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'll ask you this: of the three players on the Marlins last year who led the Marlins in WAR, how many are still on the Marlins? Whoa, that's not a. How many are still on the Marlins? Of the three, are we talking position players? Nope, entire team leaders in war. God, I, I want I want to say two, but I feel like I'm wrong. It's just one. It's just it's Sandy. just Sandy. It's just Sandy yep. because the other two were Ro- uh, not Rojas, who's Rojas, a Dodger, because of his defense, because of his defense, yep. mm. and Pablo Lopez. And I, I had a feeling. Lopez. Okay, man, yeah. I should know that. By the way, I feel like not an expert on my own podcast right now. Um, so thanks for exposing me to the entire audience that I don't know anything no about problem. what we're talking about. Uh, but no, but you're right. It, it, look, there's been obviously that level of drop off. It's difficult to imagine that you're going to replace what Pablo's production was on the same token. I think what the Marlins hope and what a lot of Marlins fans hope and and I think is is fair to project in some ways is no, n- none of these pitchers will have the type of stretch that Pablo did to start last season. Um, but looking at it overall, like, could you convince yourself that Jesus Lazardo could do some of the things that Pablo did last year? Absolutely. You know, totally. um, and so trying to match from there, but you mentioned it, you lose a really great defensive shortstop. Um, although he, he struggled at the plate. Um, this team looks different. You know, this team is, is certainly not, not it. It would be, it's almost like they are, like you mentioned before, earlier in the show, like they're in some ways playing a bit of a different sport than what the Mets and the Braves are in terms of what their payroll is. And the, and the Phillies included mm-hmm. where these teams are spending on a level where it, it's almost like comparing is, is a difficult thing to do. So when you're all in the same division, it's this difficult thing where no matter how much you achieve, no matter, even if you maximize what this roster can be, it's, it's, do I believe it's possible that they could make a run at a wild card spot? Sure. But it's hard to convince yourself that you're going to finish any higher than fourth in the division, which is which is fair. It's not even a criticism of the team. And I do think there are like you know candidates on this team for like if you want to call it bounce back seasons yeah. or you know bigger seasons. Like 
Jazz, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to have a, 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 he's going to play more than 60 games this year. Correct. Right? Joey Wendell, I was really surprised by how kind of mid he was last yeah. season. I'm assuming he's going to bounce back in a real way. Um, and then after that, it's just like, you know, a lot of guys on this roster who are 25 or younger, mm-hmm. a lot of guys who could pop off. And maybe they do. And even just one of them does, it kind of changes the dynamic of this team. And that's not to say that they're going to win like 90 games, but it does mean that maybe they don't lose 90 games. Right, right. I think what it is, is there's a lot of, and I've been, whenever I've been asked this, it's, it's this is sort of the answer, which is there's a lot of ifs, right? There's a lot of ifs with this team and, and your job is to try to eliminate the ifs when you're creating a roster. So there's certain teams you look around the league and there's not a lot of like, if this happens, this is how we're good. It's just, all right, we're good. And so with the Marlins, if Jazz Chisholm Jr. can play center field, that matters. If Avi Garcia and Jorge Soler can be 80% of what you signed them to be, that would be a huge thing for, for what this lineup is. Not that those guys are juggernauts, but it changes the middle of your order from being the worst in baseball to now a potentially productive one. If Joey Wendell can have that type of bounce back while also playing shortstop, if Gene Segura and Luis Arias are comfortable at third and second for the full season. So there's there's all of these ifs, but when those things start going right, you can see how this could be a fun, plucky team and the, and the sort of pesky right. team that they want to be. And I think I think it kind of goes back to that thing I was talking about with the Royals and that essay uh, uh, that I talked about, like waiting, like you guys have experienced right. a very similar thing. You know, right. you won two titles. You, d- you know what that feels like. And now it's been a lot of waiting. Right. And I think so much of the way that like we talk about sports and we're both guilty of it, I'm sure, mm-hmm. is it's like, OK, but like, are they going to win a title with this team? Like, are they right. like, you know, with the roster construction, is this going to, you know, and we. I think there's real value in a team going from like 60 something wins to like 70 something wins. I That's a real completely. fun thing. Like yep. if, like I what I would give for the Tigers to break 500 right now. Right. Just to well, break 500. Just just for like Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson and and yeah, Casey Mize fun. and Matt Manning just be like fun and yep. young and good. And they you know, if they don't ever turn into the team that could do what the one in like the mid 2010s did or early 2010s, that's fine. But just like Fun and showing at least like some linear growth. Right now, there's a whole bunch of nostalgia for uh, the infield the Marlins had in like 2007 and 8, which was if you go around the horn, Mike Jacobs was the first baseman, Dan Ugla was the second baseman, gross, Jorge Cantu was the third baseman, and Hanley Ramirez was the shortstop. And so, and all of those guys that year, I think it was three of the four hit 30 homers. And I think Cantu hit 28. Like it was, it was one of those teams that was just, it was kind of fun and no, they never really competed for anything. They were never that great, but you watched a group grow together and get better for a few years. And there were a couple years there where they threatened at a wild card spot. And I think that, that those years right now, the reason there's nostalgia for it is it's fans remembering Oh yeah, we watched this core go from really bad and young to like competitive. And I think that like that's kind of the hope for I think both of those teams, right? Both the Tigers and in their version of it, which I think is still slightly earlier in the quote unquote rebuild than where the Marlins are. And then where the Despite Marlins us are being at. at it for just as long, by sure. the way. <laughs> well, but on, on yeah. a on a, at least in a similar way, like there's there's some bona fide, like, oh, you know that's a stud that was drafted and built there. And and for the Marlins, they've had to do, I mean They've had to do a lot more piecing together of this roster because they weren't able to develop the bats while Jeter was here uh, that that they thought they would 
Um, and so no ultimately doubt. they've sort of pieced it together. But I think both of these teams are in that position. Um, and so now I, I do want to do just a little a little bit more. I know I've, I've kept you longer than I said I would. So we'll do this pretty quick uh, before we get going. I'm going to do just sort of rapid fire. But if you want to give a sentence Let's or two it. on these. No, no, no. So we can do this. Let's go. Three teams that you're excited to watch in Major League Baseball. Uh, the Angels, because they have the two best players alive. Perfect. Um, the Dodgers, because I, I know they didn't spend, and I know they could have done more and they got worse, but a lineup that starts with Mookie and Freddie is just still, like, it, it's a dream. It's right. so fun and so dumb. Um, is it cheating if I say the Mets? I just like it's not cheating. It's not cheating. The Mets at all. are super cool. And yeah. I have this I have this weird thing where I man, the Mets, I just like when the mm. Mets are good because their fans are so sad. Right. And like so I one of the first things I did when I was a freelancer was I fact checked a book by Devin Gordon called So Many Ways to Lose, which <laughs> is the history of every preposterous thing the Mets have ever done. That's from awesome. like from like a catcher getting the yips named Mackie Sasser to whether or not uh, on their legendary World Series winning team, uh, someone killed another player's cat. Like, it's just like all of the preposterously cursed things that the Mets have ever done. Right. And I, I worked on that book. And afterward, I was like, OK, I think I'm feeling sympathetic for this team. I don't want to be, but I am. And it's kind of cool that the Mets are good. Now, I'm not saying I want them to win the World Series because no. at the end of the day, I still want to see the schadenfreude, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see the Mets. Sorry, that was not rapid fire. No, it's per first of all, I perfect. Second of all, uh, of course, the LA guys' first two responses were the two LA teams. Um, and, and the Angels then, aren't and an LA team. The Angels are an Orange County team, and Orange uh -huh. County is not Los Angeles. All right, all right. I, I get it. I get it, LA it's guy. It's a different but... Okay, is Palm Beach Miami? All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. You got me. You got me on that one. There it is. Um, there all right. it is. All right. Three, three players you are excited to watch in Major League Baseball this season. Ooh. Um, okay. Uh, first one's just for me. Spencer Torkelson. I want to see yes. if he's going to be it. I just like, I got, I got to see it. Right. Uh, number two, uh, Bobby Wood Jr. Yeah. I, I think his oh. game's really exciting and really fun. And I, I want to see what the projection looks like there long term. Last one. Can I say jazz? Can I just say be, jazz, can, I, yeah. can I rile up and see jazz? Panther. Jazz is super fun. Jazz is like one of that like next generation of young dudes who's just like, and keep in mind, this list is entirely not counting Shohei because the answer for all of, of us is Shohei. Shohei yeah. is the only um, answer. Yeah. No, jazz is super rad. Yeah. Jazz is, uh, I'm really excited to watch him play this season. And, you know, he comes in with so much confidence, um, mm -hmm. despite the fact that he's, he's, openly talked about like yeah he struggled big time in center field to start during spring training I think he and the team believe that playing in a spring training stadium where there's no real depth and it's a lot of like high skies clear clear days difficult way to learn the position playing in a dome is probably going to help uh, you know they play 81 games in a with a roof um I think he'll be fine I also I think he's so like he's one of those players who and some guys have it and some don't Jazz wants to be a superstar, yes. not just for the on-field stuff, for the off-field stuff. Everything. And that's a real driving thing. That's a, that's a motivating factor. Uh-huh. He Oh, he wants to be a superstar more than any... There's nobody I've ever met who wants to be a yeah. superstar more than Jazz, and, he's and I love it. he's got the talent to do it. And he's got yeah. the personality oh, I, for it, so I it's going to be fun. I want every player on my team to be like, I want to be the best player to ever live. And it's like, yep. great, man, do that's, it. That's literally how he speaks. All right, and then finally, um, I'll, I'll let you go with this. Three predictions, good or bad for this Major League Baseball season? 
Mm. Predictions of any kind. It could be World Series predictions. Um, it could be individual okay. or team predictions, however you want to do it. Okay. Um, let's start with the Pirates break the record for the most losses in a season. Whoa. I love that as a start. They um, are so bad. They're so bad. And so truly. If my, if you guys are listening to this still baseball. right now as baseball fans, go look at the Pirates roster. It is... Man, it is rough. Pakoda projects them to not finish last in the NL Central, but how I have is a that hunch. possible? Cincinnati exists. Oh my God. This is why, and this is what I will say from, from just like a, let me take off like the, Mar, like covering the Marlins for a second from a Marlins fan perspective, infuriating that the NL central is as bad as it is. The Marlins oh, would yeah. be sitting here convincing themselves that they could win the NL central based off they of could. how bad the right, they could. That's how bad the NL central is in comparison to the NL East. You got a team that's yeah. convinced they're going to be fourth in the division and another division that they could win. It's such a shame. It is. Okay. So that's number one. Uh, number two. The injury that came up on medical reports for Carlos Correa mm. is actually going to rear its head this year. He's oh, he's going to no. miss some time. Okay, that's, that's, that's my a bold, very one. dark prediction. Very God. bold, very dark. You've got you've got the worst team in the league, and you've got a dark injury prediction. So I'll I'll let you know that before you make your final prediction. And you can stay okay. there if you want. Um, you can stay in that space. But if you if you want to end in a positive <sighs> way, I'm I'm giving you the runway. I don't think it's positive. Devil your magic, even your magic something's got to give the Cardinals are winning the world series. I like that prediction. Actually. I, I, I don't, it hurts me deeply. You don't, you're not a, is that a, is that a Detroit thing? Like you're not a Cardinals fan. Is that yeah, somehow just a, the case? Just or you're just, thing. just a, just a, Cardinals, just a Cardinals, just a Cardinals thing. thing. It's just a, just Cardinals, a Cardinals thing. thing. Well, it would be good Devil for magic. our, uh, for the skipper down here, skip Schumacher. He'd be a big, be a big fan of his, his former team winning it all. Um, and man, for what it's worth, Jordan Walker, that guy's going to be fun. Like that guy's gonna be fun. Watched him a little bit in spring training. He's gonna be one of the one of those dudes. They just have a couple of dudes who are just like, you know, who's really fun to watch play baseball. Tommy yeah. Edmond. Tommy oh. Edmond's just really fun to watch play baseball. He just he's just one of those dudes. Uh huh. Well, he because he reminds you of a guy who should have played in like 2002. Back to the beginning yeah. of our conversation of when we fell in love with baseball. He's one of oh, those absolutely. types that, of players. That that guy that guy on Placido Polanco used to like share <laughs> tips on like in during bp or something like yeah that's one yeah. of those guys with alfredo amezaga uh shocker saman thank you so much for uh taking some time to join me today on miami mic'd up me. um is there any place i can direct folks for you do you want to direct them to your social media you you want to see some bad tweets want. come to at shocker saman <laughs> on twitter as long as uh elon hasn't burned the place down yet seems like he might yeah uh, it's about to happen. don't follow me on instagram it's just pictures of dogs Oh, but that see that's more of a teaser than I think you think it is. It's called, uh, it's called, it's called, it's called a bait and switch. Hey, <laughs> reverse psychology. This guy smarter than the rest of us. That Duke education. Shocker, Saman. Thank you so much for joining me today on Miami Mike Up. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Mike Up with me, Jeremy Taché, and a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places. 